I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Drum Hadley, a man who spent most of his adult life working on and owning ranches along the U.S.-Mexican border and writing poetry. He's a poet who worked as a cowboy, but his poetry is not what you might think of as cowboy poetry, rhyming narrative stories. It's more contemporary poetry that talks about his life there in the Southwest. Back in the 1960s, Drum was at the beginning of what was going to be, it looked like, a successful poetry career. He was hanging out with the important poets of the day, Allen Ginsberg, Lawrence Ferlinghetti. He's a good friend of Gary Snyder's. And he read and published widely at the start of this successful literary career. But the Southwest beckoned, as did the cowboy life. So he dropped out of academic poetry circles and moved to the Southwest and the cowboy lifestyle. Throughout the years, living outside of the literary circles, Drum continued to write poetry. And in 2005, a significant collection of his work was published by Rio Nuevo Publishers in Tucson, Arizona, a book called Voice of the Borderlands. And as a result of the unique combination of his life experiences and his talent as a poet, this beautiful 360-page book provides us with rare insight into a world most of us know little or nothing about. Rio Nuevo publishers were kind enough to send me a copy of the book along with a CD back around when it was published, and at that time I did a brief review. The CD is a reading of some of the poems by Drum, and along with some chatting about poetry and the book with his good friend, Jim Harrison. Unfortunately, Drum passed away in 2015 at the age of 77, following a long illness. And Jim died in 2016 at age 78, which makes it particularly meaningful to me, to be able to make this recording available for you. We have done the best we could in trying to smoothly edit cuts from the recording into the podcast of drum reading and discussing with Jim. So, without further ado, here's Drum Hadley, who begins with a poem that is pretty much the introduction to his work, and the first poem in the book. Now, everybody ready? Now, come hear these rough rhymes sing. Like sunlight on the ridgelines of far mountain ranges, range upon range, of recognition in the dawn. This book documents the settling of the borderlands. It is a a weaving of humor and tears, of men and women grounded in the earth, the livelihoods and folk knowledges, the wisdoms fast disappearing, the horses, the cowboys, 
the beautiful lands. It is heard across these howling distances of faraway mountain ranges, voices echoing across the cedar trees, arroyos and mesas, as far as the eye can see. The distances cling to each spoken word as each word clings to the distances and tries to take them in. But if you listen, you can still hear them. When you read these words slowly by the fire and your voice becomes the people, the lions, the wildlife, and the land. I forgot to say, and, and I'm delighted to have Jim here to, to listen to this. Uh, what did we put, babe, about uh, Charles Olson, that little quote which we should have put? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jim was a, a good, close friend of, of Charles Olson. Charles was a mentor for both Jim and I, and he was a wonderful friend and a wonderful man. And, and uh, he wrote, and I, and I put an acknowledgement, uh, Charles wrote, I take space to be the central fact to man born in America from Folsom Cave to now. And that is what should, is in the, uh, the book uh, cover and should be read before anything else. I take space to be the central fact to man born in America from Folsom Cave to now. You starling Charles was because uh, <laughs> Uh, being the largest poet in the history of America, who's enormous. Uh, I was with him and he had an enormous library, but when I saw, I was walking around his house uh, after we were taking naps after a very laborious night, he said, we would go to bars in Gloucester, <coughs> and they says, Charles, you know you're not welcome here, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, he had said an odd thing to me, and I know that was his reaction to drug. He says, well, the rest of us are inside, and you're out there in the pasture. I mean, not that we aren't mental, too, but considerably less so than Charles and Robert Duncan and so on, being more rurally oriented. But a remarkable, remarkable man. A great teacher, though, some, once Duncan said to me, I wish Charles would stop going up on the mountain and coming back down with 12 fresh new tablets every day. <laughs> he could skip a day now. <laughs> uh, this is actually, this is Eva Peterson, who uh, uh, died, but she used to live in Tucson. And, uh, and Eve was a, a young lady. 
and uh, uh, what did we call this? Lovers, lovers driving cattle. The cowboy and the beautiful dude called Eve. Uh, a dude is uh, means somebody who uh, I guess isn't of the cowboy world. Uh, so. Uh, Cowboy and the beautiful dude called Eve. She was a friend of ours, too. 90% of the world doesn't understand cowboy. Hugh and Eve were lovers, but still they had a ways to go to really get to know one another to learn the subtleties of each other's ways. They were driving together up the mountain road in a pickup truck. They came upon nine head of Brindle Brema Cross cows. When they were about a quarter of the way up the mountain, said Hugh, I'm going to drive them cows up, up there, plumb on up to the top of the mountain. And because Eve couldn't figure out how Hugh was going to be able to load the nine full-grown cows into the back of that pickup truck, she asked him, why Hugh? How are you going to be able to drive them nine cows up there? Said Hugh, turning toward her with a loving smile, I'm going to ride a horse and them cows are going to walk. <laughs> it's been an interesting life. <laughs> I was wondering the other night if you had the feeling that it was a good thing you wrote all this down because yeah. a lot of things are disappearing. In fact, my daughter, it was very painful when she asked me when she was about 10, why is everything always disappearing, you know? I said, that's just the life process, this change. Really? But I was thinking of these people here, they're going away, oh, yeah. oh, going yeah. away. There was one in Montana a couple years ago, and he's 70, but uh, nobody would. This cowboy, he's what, really what they call a tall boot cowboy up there. And for all these years of Livingston, if a good hand got caught being drunk and disorderly, the cops would just make sure he got a ride home to the ranch because he would be needed the next day. So they get a new judge in town that doesn't observe this. So they put this old hand, this tall boot old hand, real tough man, and, uh, jail and he appeared in court 
the next morning. He's outraged that he didn't get his ride home and he's needed out of the ranch. Uh, and the judge said, you know, I'm giving you 10 days. And the guy looks at him, the cowboy looks up at the judge and says, uh, this is a little vulgar, but I have the whole court proceedings. Come down off that bench, you bald-headed son of a bitch, and I'm gonna kick your ass. He's talking to the judge. <laughs> and it gets worse and worse, and the judge keeps adding 10 days to uh, his sentence, so he's got about a year in jail. And, and uh, ranchers are not as pro-ACLU, as you know, but an, a an ACLU lawyer from over in Bozeman got it thrown out of court, you know, because the judge was enraged and he can't. So it was wonderful. <laughs> I mean, really got bad, everything he said. But those people are disappearing, of course. They really are. They really are. We've, uh, I've got one that uh, where it's just a very similar situation. Okay, this one is called another one that my, my old friend Walter Ramsey uh, told. Uh, <clears throat> A different, it's called a different kind of a tune. Prohibition and country dances. Well, one time there was a dance over the hill at Cloverdale. It was out under the blackjack oaklands. It was between the arroyo and the fork in the road. It was where they've been a stealing old Lee Howard's whiskey. Every time there was a Cloverdale dance, <laughs> they'd let him have a few drinks. And after he was good and, and good and liquored up, Jimmy, I remember this. They, they'd get his bottle. Then it was kind of hard for old Lee to remember where his bottle was, Jimmy. <clears throat> but finally, they figured out, Lee figured out what they was a doing. So he poured some of his whiskey into a bottle. Then he filled the rest of that bottle with croton oil. <laughs> You know that's that damn laxative that they give to cattle and horses. After he filled it, he shook it and took that bottle and he hid it out in the oak brush. He hid it, but not too good. Well, one of them boys was pretty proud of himself he found Lee's bottle and he stole it, and he was a dancing with the prettiest girl there. <laughs> they was a sparkin', just a whirling around across that old Cloverdale dance floor slab. They was a dosy doin' to beat all hell. 
<laughs> till he began to feel that scrotum oil start to hit him. <laughs> I'll tell you, any bottle of old Lee's that they stole after that, they sure sniffed around the bottle quite a bit. <laughs> and they was damn sure careful about drinking it. <laughs> I'll tell you that old boy with the croton oil, he left his pretty girl and he lit out for the far oaks and when he ran, he ran a-dancing. <laughs> but he was a-dancing to a different kind of a tune. <laughs> Showed me the oak grove where oh, yeah. it's oh, sure. yeah, over there. Yeah. It's nice to know the place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, don't you think we ought to stop? That's pretty good. Yeah. 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 It's great. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you all for listening. You're listening to Poetry Spoken here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and our feature today is a recording of Drummer Hadley reading poetry and talking with Jim Harrison about his work. Our recording uh, that we received is, uh, I thought, a little bit discontinuous, so it sounded to me like what you've just heard is part one, a sort of performance thing uh, in front of an audience. But then there were a few more cuts, which basically involved uh, talk from the guys about a woman named Alma and a poem too and it was such uh, related to life down there in the southwest I thought that you would appreciate hearing it so here is the segment on Alma with Carlos E. Slava, and uh, I had worked on the ranch of his father-in-law <clears throat> the preceding November, and I asked Carlos what had happened to this girl by the name of Alma, who we all danced with after a roundup in Mexico. And uh, I, it was, this was just uncanny. There are almost no palm trees uh, in that country. And somehow there was a palm tree in that arroyo bed. And I asked Carlos what had happened to this girl whose name was Alma. 
Alma is a, it's a proper name and it also is the word for soul in Spanish. And we happened, as I was riding with Carlos, you know, um, I said, Carlos, what happened to that girl by the name of Alma? And Carlos began singing. And what he sang was, El Sauce y la Palma, the willow and the palm, palm tree. They gently touch each other, Alma of my soul, or soul of my soul. Que linda eres tu, how beautiful you were. And I began this song with those first four lines that Carlos told me. Don Crucito Alonso, Vaquero in the Canyon de Dimas, where the swallows come nesting by the red cliffs in the springtime, Sonora, Mexico. Your 
jealous love's gold. Who are we here wanting to know? Pefe's house and hers, como un águila bajando a un lepe, like an eagle dropping down on a doggy calf, Roberto danced with the senoritas in Agua Prieta. Where will the old earth take you, dancing through this starlight, whirling you on and on while she goes? danced her through that old white house where she lived. One room adobe walls, the other cardboard, and rusting pieces of rattling tin. Where Petra served us frijole beans and carne, as though we'd come driving steers down those long trails as kings. Tequila and corridos floating through the cantinas and the women and the songs. We forgot the dust and the wild cattle and the cold of the mornings and the winding trails and changed the town to some whirling place we didn't remember or know. Just found, you know, Alan Lauder, who kicks, uh, who uh, cooks on the hunts. Uh, Alan went down into Mexico to a place called uh, uh, Hard Bread, Panduru, mm. and they came back with pictures of uh, 
Panduro and of a uh, of a shrine to Alma. Oh really? Isn't that the goddamn yeah. thing? Uh, you can't believe the uh -huh. strangeness. So I wrote that. Uh, that was in the '60s, and we didn't find that grave until uh, last year. And 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 where and, and we went with uh, Alfonso Ruiz's son. What what is his name? Ruben. Uh, Ruben. Yeah, we went. Ruben Ruben went down there and found out that that. Ruben knew that, I think it was Ruben who knew that her name was Alma, or found out that it was Alma, so isn't that so? Uh -huh. So, uh, <laughs> that's what's in the book. That old idea that Spanish idea that I know about uh, from reading Machado is that certain songs could Carried their ghosts with them for hundreds of years, and probably that one would yeah. carry its ghosts yeah. with them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like the song when it's performed that rouses the ghost that is in the oh, song. That's great. And it can go oh, back to marvelous. sleep. Did Alma. you all hear this guy? Yeah. Did you see him put his head down on his head? <laughs> <laughs> He's a gentle soul. <laughs> yeah. We did see. He said, that's marvelous. Say that again, Jim. Oh, well, that notion that each uh, got from Rady Machado is one of my favorite of all 20th century poets, that yeah. certain songs carry a ghost with them so that when that song is performed, that brings the ghost to life. And then when the song is over again, the ghost goes back to sleep. So the ghost is there when you hear the song of Alma. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter. We've been listening to Drum Hadley read his poetry and talk about it. And now I'd like to tell you a little bit about the significant ecological work that Hadley did in the American Southwest. As the jacket of his book says, his poetry and life were devoted to sustaining a way of life. He started the Animus Foundation and with others, the Malpai Borderlands Group. These organizations help support ranching in harmony with the environment. And briefly, here's the story behind that. The Nature Conservancy purchased something called the Gray Ranch from a Mexican national who was willing to subdivide it to get more money, but they didn't want that to happen. They wanted to maintain the one single large property. By large, 321,000 acres. So, the Conservancy went to the Hadley family, which is, let's say, pretty well off. And they decided that they would buy the property from the Conservancy and they bought it with easements that guaranteed it would never be subdivided and with conditions establishing monitoring procedures to record the health of the range and habitat. And that's when the Animus Foundation was created to help administer this property and also, along with that, the Malpai Borderlands Group. 
Malpai is M-A-L-P-A-I. I hope my pronunciation is okay. You could Google that to get more details on this. And the Animus Foundation is A-N-I-M-A-S. So these things were set up, and the goal of the Borderlands Group, Malpai Borderlands Group, is to restore and maintain the natural processes that create and protect a healthy, unfragmented landscape to support a diverse, flourishing community of human, plant, and animal life in the Borderlands region. And it's important to note, they say, that one of the things they've accomplished as a small group in just a remote corner of Arizona and New Mexico is that they have had a significant influence in the way that ranchers and the environmental community and the government and the public perceive conservation and ranching today. Rather than being confrontational, they are moving toward common ground and working together. This is some really good news for our times. Using available science, they are always using research to figure out what to do and what things have what kind of impact on the land and on the plants and animals that are found there. And they're working at the level closest to the ground, grassroots, and exhibiting real stewardship. So those are two things that Drum was instrumental in being involved with. The Animus Foundation and the Malpai Borderlands Group having a significant impact on a significant area down there in the American Southwest and distributing their findings to the ranching and scientific community. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this has been Poetry Spoken Here. Be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Monday. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.